You are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. Advent is a little bit different than Christmas. Uh, For me, Christmas is just this agreement that we make to one another to kind of act like everything's good, right? Target puts out the sales. Amazon puts out the sales. Oh, okay, okay. It's, we got to put on the Christmas spirit, right? We got to act nice and act right. Now, we have no intention come December 26 to be any different than we were before the sales went out, but it's the Christmas spirit. And so we kind of pull it together and we call that the holidays, right? Advent's different. Advent means coming. Something has come. Advent. Jesus came and Jesus is coming with his kingdom to make all things new and all things right. But if something's coming, it means we're waiting. And waiting is hard. Waiting is hard, especially when you need what you're waiting for. And we desperately, desperately need a better king. We desperately need a better kingdom. We desperately need somebody to step in and make wrongs right and make what is separate and cantankerous and bitter, make it unified and redeemed. And listen, no matter what any politician tells you, there's only one guy who can do that, and his name is Jesus. And we're waiting. We're waiting for him to come back. No, no, don't don't get me wrong. Christmas is lovely, all right? I, I ain't trying to be a Scrooge up here. I'm here for it. I like it. It's beautiful. But listen, Christmas doesn't solve my problems. Christmas doesn't solve my problems. All it does is delay my problems. Advent teaches me how how the coming of Jesus can make my life better. Like this, uh, that I can have hope even when life's hard. Yeah, that helps me. The the simple idea that, wait, wait, it can be hard and I can have hope because I know I didn't get to pick life being hard, but man, I'd love to have some hope. And and Advent says, well, you can have it in Jesus. That, That I can have peace even when I have problems. I mean, I didn't get to pick my problems. Pastor Todd did a phenomenal job talking about this last week. You can have peace and problems? Wow, that's helpful. And today we're going to talk about joy, that I can have joy even when it it feels like my life is is like a joke, right? Like the joke's on me. Like, am I being punked right now? Right? Where's Ashton Kutcher? Tell him to come out and tell me, like, I can have joy. I, I can have joy even when life feels like the joke is on me. Wow, that, that would be helpful if that were true. So we began this story with Mary, her hope. Last week we looked at Pastor Todd teaching us about Joseph and his peace. And I want to pick up the story back in Luke chapter 1. The verse that we ended with two weeks ago was the archangel had come to Mary and said, good news, you're pregnant. And Mary said, uh, did I miss a step? Right? How is this that I'm a virgin? And and the, the archangel gave this very comforting, comprehensive answer. Oh, no, 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 it's the Holy Spirit. Oh, wow, great. Who's going to believe that, right? Who, who's going to believe that? And, and, and Mary says, well, uh, if that's what you say God wants to do, let it be according to me. And the angel says, sounds like you got it. See you later. Okay? Here's the next verse. Luke 1 and verse 39. Are you with me? In those days, Mary arose and went with haste until the hill country, to a town in Judah. 
And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And behold, is she, and blessed is he, she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, and behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever, and Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. Now this feels like a small piece of the Advent story, maybe an irrelevant piece. Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth, her friend, Hangs out for three months, then she goes home. Cool, fair enough. But there's something powerful snuck into this traditional story. Something that I think can change your life. So let me say it to you a little bit differently. Mary arrives to Elizabeth's house with her head spinning and her life on till. We look back on it and we say, isn't it awesome that God did that to Mary? Listen, that wouldn't have been Mary's version of the story. Mary would have been afraid that Joseph was going to dump her. Because who's going to believe? No, 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 I didn't cheat on you. It's the Holy Spirit. Mary's afraid that her family's going to kick her out. Mary's afraid that her town is going to stone her because she's an adulterer, right? She has all of these fears, all of the plans she had, all of the hopes she has. They are gone. And she stumbles into Elizabeth's house. She spends some time with Elizabeth, and she leaves worshiping and rejoicing. What happened? What happened? In the time that they spent together, what did they say? How how can you go with the bottom having fallen out and leave joyful and worshiping? I want you to see what happened, but in order to understand it, we have to talk, we got to talk about joy. See, I believe that all Christians should be jumping for joy. I think all Christians should be jumping for joy. Here's why, because joy is God's plan for your life. Joy is God's plan for your life. Maybe you walked in, you don't know God, you don't know what God thinks about you, so let me just say this to you. God knows you, God loves you, God has plans for you, and one of the plans he has for you is that you would have joy in your life. John 15 and verse 9, as the Father, this is Jesus speaking, has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be full. Jesus says, my plan for you is that you wouldn't just have any old random joy, that you would have Jesus' joy, and that your joy would be full. Jesus wants you to have his joy, so much so that he sent his Holy Spirit to you. He sent his Holy Spirit to reside inside of you, and the result of the Spirit's presence is, the fruit of the Spirit is love. He got it. Any, any rest of y'all able to read? Is it up there? No? All right. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. When God is present, joy is present. When God shows up, joy comes with him. 
Jesus says, I want you to have it. I want you to know it. I want you to experience it. I want it to be full. Psalm 16 and verse 11, you have made known to me the path of life. And in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Some of you don't know this, God. You don't know a God who enjoys you and you enjoy being with. You think that God is boring and stoic and a little judgmental. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that in, in, in any room God is in, there's fullness of joy. Philippians 4 and verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And because Paul knows that we're going to go, really always? He says again, I say, rejoice. Listen, have joy, rejoice all the time. Why is this important? Because if the Bible is to be believed, it means that if my joy is leaking or absent, something has gone wrong. Jesus says, this is what I want. Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit so you can have it. Jesus says, if you're with me, you have it. Jesus commands, rejoice always. But some of us are walking around and we don't have much joy. And what I need you to understand is that if your joy is leaking or absent, you are outside of God's plan for your life. Joy is God's plan for your life. And if you aren't experiencing joy, you aren't experiencing what God wants you to experience. So let's, let's clear up a couple tensions here about joy. Uh, the first one is the tension between joy and happiness. This isn't much of a tension if you aren't a part of the church, but for some reason in the church, we like to argue about this, right? That joy and happiness are different, right? We need to, we need to, we need to unpack this. So again, this is a tension. It's not super clean with nice, neat lines, but I do want to say this to you, church person. Don't over-spiritualize joy and trivialize happiness, now, now, what we mean when we say that these, these things aren't the same is, is, is we mean joy and happiness are different and that joy takes on different shapes. It doesn't always look the same for every person. Sometimes it's a little more internal. Sometimes it's a little more external. Sometimes it's just a, a grin and sometimes it's, right? It's not all the same. Fair enough. I get it. But what we should also understand is that anybody who does actually have joy will from time to time be happy. I'm tired of Christians claiming that they have joy inside. I have joy. Well, tell your face. Tell your face. Tell the words you use. Tell the tone in your voice. Tell your body language. Tell everything about you. You don't have any joy, and if you do, it's buried so far down, it ain't touching anything on the outside. We should understand that if you have joy, of course you're going to, from time to time, be happy. Now, it does seem clear that you can have happiness and not have joy, right? But it should also seem clear that if you do not have joy, okay, that, that you do not have joy without also sometimes being happy. C.S. Lewis says it this way, it, it is the Christian duty, as you know, for everyone to be as happy as he can be. Okay, did I lose you? It is the Christian duty, as you know, for everyone to be as happy as he can be. Why? Because joy predicts happiness. Happiness doesn't predict joy all the time, but the opposite is true. Okay, secondly, God's glory and your joy, they aren't opposites. Okay, so God's glory and your happiness can be opposites, but God's glory and your joy are the same destination. It's the reason why you hear me pray so many times, God, for your glory and our joy. I'm actually praying the same thing, one applied to God and one applied to us. Now, before you became a Christian, your desires were your compass. 
Like, you did what you wanted to do. Right? I, I do what I want, when I want, how I want. Ain't nobody going to tell me anything different. But when you become a Christian, you become submitted to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. And, and what I've noticed is that Christians, once they become followers of Jesus, develop some cynicism about their desires. Like, if they want it, God probably doesn't intend to give it to them. Have you ever had that experience? What do you want to do? I really want to do this, which means that God probably isn't going to give it to me. I have a counselor who regularly asks me, well, what do you want to do? And for the six, first six months that I met with him, I would, I would say this. It doesn't really matter what I want to do. I just want to do whatever God wants. Right? Doesn't that sound holy? I mean, that sounds like super religious. Like, wow, that's a great answer, Tim. What do you want? Nothing. I just want whatever God wants. Right? Just... Okay. Now, hear me. I think it's wise to evaluate your desires. Not everything you want is good. And I agree that we are to gladly follow God, be submitted to his will, word, and ways. Come on, say amen if you believe that. But think about the belief system that undergirds what I just said. The idea is that God enjoys me not getting what I want. What do you want to do? Nothing, just what God wants. What you're actually saying is, God doesn't ever want to give me what I enjoy doing. Or it assumes that God isn't able to give me certain desires. That my desires, once I become a Christian, are something to be shunned, not to be something to be pursued. And I think this keeps me and us fearful and frozen in a place of passive, low-key misery as though that is what brings God glory. I think that a lot of us walk around as though God's a stoic, he doesn't smile much, he doesn't like much, he doesn't enjoy much, and we shouldn't either because that's actually what makes him happy. No, no, Christian, you need to understand that the book of Psalms, chapter 37, says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now that's a little churchy, so let me say it to you the way that Augustine said it. He said, love God and do what you will. What? Yeah, yeah, the first part is the rails, right? Like, I love my wife, so there's certain things I ain't going to do. You love God, and there's certain things that you aren't going to do, but it still matters what you want to do. It still matters what you want to do. Lots of Christians knocking, have desires knocking around their heart that they just assume God would never want to give them. No, no, maybe God gave you those desires. Maybe God's glory and your joy are the exact same place, but you believe some things about God that are precluding you from his glory or your joy. Tension number two is whether or not joy is voluntary or involuntary. Are you still with me? Okay, so again, this is a tension. This isn't super clean with nice, neat lines, but, but I, have, uh, I have seen, experienced that, jo- that happiness can be a choice, Right? Yeah, I can, I can choose to be happy, but more, more often than not, happiness just happens. Okay, so like this, uh, you have that meal. You know what I'm talking about? And you push yourself back on the table, that was so good, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm so happy. Nobody pushes themselves back from the table at Texas Roadhouse and goes, I'm so joyful. <laughs> no one does that. Okay. You're happy when you have that meal. You're happy when you go to that party. You're happy when you get that raise. You're happy when you watch that funny movie. You're happy when the Chiefs win because they stayed on side. 
Come on, we tell the truth up in here. All right? It was a penalty. Let it go. But they didn't warn us. They didn't warn you that offsides was a penalty? This, I was in Texas. I could see it. All right. Anyways, happy when and apparently if the Chiefs ever win again. Oh, stop it. Stop. Stop. I've been rooting for the Browns all my life. I don't want to hear anything from y'all. All right? Listen, so happiness, it happens, and then happiness disappears until something else good happens, right? There's a temporary element of happiness. And, and I've also noticed this, that joy can happen. So get, I'll give you an example. Uh, me watching my then fiance, soon to be my wife, walking down the aisle toward me. It's not, I wasn't happy. I was having an out-of-body experience. <laughs> Same thing whenever, whenever I watched my wife labor and then the nurse wrapped up three little babies and said, congrats, Dad. I didn't go, I'm so happy. I just mumbled. I don't even, I, I don't, I'll just, uh, 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 right? I, it, it's happy, but it's deeper. It's more significant. It's like a permanent good. Not always not always easy, but still good. Right. And quite often you can experience that deeper something and you can actually stay in it when you understand that joy is a choice. Now we seem to struggle with this idea spiritually, but we understand in other areas that you have to act believing that your feelings will follow. You, you understand that the first steps are hard because your feelings, and if I were taking notes, I would jot this next phrase down, because your feelings are slower than your will. You see, you think your feelings are faster because they happen to you. No, no, your feelings are actually pretty slow. You decide something, and you decide quickly, and then your feelings catch up. We know that if I keep stepping according to my will in the right direction, that eventually my heart catches up. We know that people who physically choose to smile will eventually experience happiness. And you do this long enough, and somewhere your soul goes, oh, we're happy? I don't know. Well, look at his face. (laughs) Yeah, your soul catches up. We know that people who choose to exercise eventually enjoy it. Now, not January 3rd when you got a new gym membership and Lululemon clothes, and you're walking around randomly in machines that you've never seen before. That's not fun. But come March, you, you figure the dopamine thing, and you're... You start looking in the mirror like, oh, come on, somebody. All right? You enjoy that. But you had to decide to go to the gym before you enjoy it. We know that married couples who choose to date eventually have a better marriage. I'm, I'm going to say it again because I don't think. Married couples, married, like you put a ring on it, choosing to date, as in spend money, go outside, go on dates. Do you know what I mean? It's a crazy idea. I thought I didn't have to do that once we got married. Well, if you want to stay married, you got to do that. Yeah, we know that married folks who date eventually have a good marriage. Or you can just stay inside all the time and claw each others' eyes out. Whatever. It's your ch- no, we know that, that when, when we 
we tend to relegate joy to this emotional, involuntary space. But watch, Scripture teaches joy as a character trait, as a command, and as a choice. What does Scripture say? Rejoice always, which means, the always means sometimes you ain't going to feel like it. Sometimes it isn't going to be happy. Do it anyways. Yeah, but I don't feel like it. That's the point. You're misunderstanding what it is. The Scripture says, be filled with the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is joy. You choose to avail yourself in a submitted way to God's presence and power. And then you experience joy. Okay, so if joy is a choice, what choices do I need to regularly make to experience joy? Are you still with me? So in our story of Advent, Mary's world gets interrupted. Her world gets turned upside down. And what does she do? She makes a choice. She makes a choice. She hurries to a friend she looks forward to being with. Mary makes a choice. Her life gets turned upside down. She can just stay in the house and, oh, why, God, why are you doing this to me? But what does she do? In a hurry, she made a choice to get to a friend. This is a powerful principle. This is a powerful fr- principle, a friend to look forward to. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, a couple interesting things. Contrary to culture, the author of the Gospel of Luke, whose name was... I, I got to start all over, don't I? Just from the beginning. Listen, it wasn't Frank, y'all, all right? It was Luke. Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. First the Chiefs and now the Gospel of Luke. Y'all, y'all going to do me like this a week out from Christmas. Okay. Who wrote the, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, y'all? Luke. There it is. Contrary to culture, the author of the Gospel of Luke chooses to tell the story of the Messiah's birth through the lens of two women. We know very little about Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, and Joseph, Elizabeth, or Mary's fiancé, because Luke doesn't tell us that much, and what he does tell us isn't their strengths, it's their struggles. Here's what you know about Zechariah. He didn't believe God when God said, I'm going to give you who turned out to be John the Baptist. And so God said, you're going to be quiet for nine months. Some of you are praying that for your spouse right now during 21 days of prayer. Right? God, make them not talk for nine months. If I have to get pregnant to make that happen, I'll take it. That's a fair deal. No, that's what we know about Zechariah. He didn't believe God, and so God was like, zip it. What do we know about Joseph? That God was trying to do something through his relationship and he didn't believe his girl. That's what we know about him. That an angel had to come to him and go, seriously, she's telling the truth. That's all we know. So Luke chooses to tell the story through the lens of two women. And not just through the lens of two women, but through the lens of their friendship. Okay, so what do you tend to do when the bottom falls out? What do you tend to do when the bottom falls out? falls out. Well, I go to the grocery store, I get some Ben and Jerry's. Most of us don't hurry to somebody, we hurry from everyone. Most of us, when the bottom really falls out, we don't run to community, we run from community. And this this is the first choice that we make that precludes joy in our life. Because if you could figure out joy on your own, you wouldn't be where you are. You need somebody to take you by the hand, somebody to give you something to borrow and to show you how to have something that you can't get to on your own. Secondly, who do you 
hurry to be with? And who hurries to be with you? And this is a side note, but it's an important one. The quickest way to have somebody is to be someone's someone. What's the Bible say? If you want to have great friends, be, be a great friend. You know, the best friends that I have, I figured out they have other friends. Why? Because it's them. Because they're incredible friends. What type of person, here's, here's, here's where I want to spend the most of our time. What type of person do we look forward to spending time with? What type of person do we run to and what type of person could we be in this holiday season for somebody else? So, so who is Elizabeth? Elizabeth was the wife of Zechariah. Both he and she are descendants of Aaron. They're Levites. So in our day, this would be the equivalent of a pastor and a pastor's wife. She's Mary's cousin, and like Mary, she's a part of a small group of women in the Bible who have had miraculous births. Sarah had Isaac. Hannah had Samuel. Mary had Jesus. Elizabeth had John the Baptist. The thing that you need to know about her is that she is in her 80s, and she is very pregnant. <laughs> Some of y'all think you're having a hard pregnancy <laughs> up here in your 20s. I ain't trying to hear about you in your, in your my, my girl's 81, and she's pregnant. Okay, now, I would never say that to you. I'm just for, for a point of reference. 81, and she's pregnant. For most of her life, she's been barren. In that context, meant she was cursed. So for most of her life, she's been cursed, and God chooses her to deliver to the world John the Baptist. Don't you love how God never picks what we aspire to be? God God never picks what all the marketing tells you you need. God never picks the affluent and the influential and the one with the platform and the one who's put together. God picks the cursed, barren, 80-year-old woman. God picks Mary and Joseph. They ain't even married. What's the point? The point is, listen, that God doesn't think about it the way that you do. That God doesn't need the things that you think that you need to use you in ways that you can't comprehend. It's a powerful thing. But when you put Mary and Elizabeth beside each other, of course they're both pregnant. Of course they both have become pregnant through miraculous ways. But other than that, there's no point of connection whatsoever. I think that a lot of times we think friendship only happens in affinity. We have a lot in common. That's why we're friends. No, no, no. It's much deeper than that. It's much deeper than that. There's nothing between these two other than that they both love Jesus, they're both pregnant, and an angel told them both they were going to be. This is an 80-year-old woman hanging out with a 14-year-old. She ain't TikToking. Come on, somebody. She don't even know what TikTok is. Why did Mary run to her? And why... Did she invite Mary in? I mean, let's just be honest with her. If you're 81 and pregnant, you ain't trying to hang out with a teenager for three months, let alone a pregnant one, let alone just shows up to your door. Three months. Listen, you, some of you ladies who have been pregnant, you're like, I ain't trying to be with you for three minutes. Especially if you're hormonal and stressed out. Why did Mary go to her? Now listen, this is important because some of us are in a season like Mary where your world's upside down and I'm telling you, you need an Elizabeth. And it's also important for us in the church because we need to grow in life-giving relationships that people can run to and find Jesus and joy. So what was Elizabeth? What made 
What made her someone to look forward to? Number one, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary shows up to the door. She hears Mary's voice. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she prophesies over her. Okay, now think about what the fruit of the Spirit is in relational context. This fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Think of that in your relationships. Do you want to be in relationships that are loving, that are joyful, that are peaceful, that are patient, that are kind, that are good, that are faithful, that are gentle, that have self-control and can serve one another? Do you want that kind of relationship? Yeah. Yeah, but you see, the opposite of it is it's not loving, it's selfish. It's not joyful, it's grumpy. It's not peaceful, it's moody. It's not patient, it's impatient. It's not kind, it's rude. It's not good, it's hurtful. It's not faithful, it's disloyal. It's not gentle, it's harsh. It's not self-control, it's volatile. Which one describes your house? Which one describes your marriage? You know, I think a lot of times we misdiagnose our problems. Your marriage is all crazy, your relationships are crazy, they're all, they're, they're all intense and conflict, and well, this is because of the house I grew up in. No, it's because you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. It's because you're in your flesh. I'm not saying that you didn't grow up in that kind of house. I'm not saying you don't have trauma. I'm not saying family of origin and all. I'm not saying you have bad. I'm not saying those things aren't true, but I am saying he that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. What I am saying is that your house would look different if you woke up in the morning and both of you decided, I'm going to be filled with the Spirit whether this sucker does or not. And you got to say it like that because that's how you feel. Listen, when Mary gets to Elizabeth's house, don't miss this. She doesn't just experience the presence of Elizabeth. She experiences the presence of God. When someone's with me and I'm filled up with God's spirit, they experience the presence of God. Listen, none of y'all need to just experience Tim. You need to experience God when you're with Tim. The reason that Mary ran to Elizabeth is because she knew if she found Elizabeth, she would find the Holy Spirit. And that's what she needed. When someone finds you, what do they find? Who do they find? What temperament do they find? Do they find the presence of God when they're in a room with you, or do they just find you? Number two, Elizabeth was vocal in affirmation. Elizabeth said some things. Can I tell you some of the most transformative moments in my life haven't been from what people believed about me. It's been from what people said to me. Listen, there's been people who believed in me. Cool. But there's been other people who believed in me, and they were like, come here a second, let me tell you something. And they spoke words of life over me. I remember those. Can I tell the opposite is true? An important person speaks life over me, or an important person speaks death over me. The book of Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. You're planting something with the words that you use. You're bringing something with the words that you use. 
Listen, some of the reason that your home feels the way that it does is you're just harvesting the seeds, harvesting the seeds that you've been planting for years, spoken death over your husband, your wife, your kids, your job, your finances. You've been prophesying over your life for years, and now you're living in a life that you don't want because you weren't filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking truth over your life. Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of here. Don't, no, no talk that degrades or disintegrates or destroys, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. What do people feel when they're in your presence? And what do people hear when they're in your presence? What are you speaking over them? Who are they experiencing when you're with them? And then thirdly, Elizabeth pointed Mary Back to Jesus. Mary arrives to Elizabeth afraid and confused and leaves rejoicing and worshiping. She speaks this psalm called Mary's Magnificate. I read it to you at the beginning. It's this beautiful psalm of assent and belief and faith and hope and gratitude. You see, Elizabeth knew that what Mary needed wasn't Elizabeth. She needed God. Listen, this, this holiday season, what, what your family needs isn't you. What your family needs is the presence of God. What your spouse needs isn't you. What your spouse needs is the presence of God. What your kids need, it's not you. And the gifts you bought them, it's the presence of God. And how did Elizabeth usher Mary into the presence of God? Because she was spirit-filled and vocally encouraging. She created an atmosphere in which God could move and work and draw Mary into the future through the belief and affirmation of her godly spirit-filled friend. Here are the lessons that God teaches us through the friendship of Mary and Elizabeth. And, And hang with me here, okay? And then I'll be in my seat. Okay, listen. Yes, it's true. Relationships are a source of trauma in your life. Yeah? Yes. It's true. To say it's not true would be foolish and gaslighting and not helpful. Yes, of course, relationships are a source of trauma. But I want to ask you as you watch a woman who is going through a trauma trying to follow God, I want to ask you to not get stuck in the belief that relationships are a source of of trauma, that they are only a source of trauma. Why? Because they can also be a source of joy. God uses people to deliver his plans to you, something deeper than happiness, something more substantial, a permanent good that's not always easy, but it's good. Listen, I know that when I'm talking about joy and the people you're going to see, I know someone's coming into your head. But I, I don't want you to forget other names that should be popping into your head. People who have delivered the presence of God to you again and again and again and again and again. And when you're struggling, you run to them to borrow from their faith. I want to remind you that God uses people around you. And I want you to stop believing the lie that the person who did the thing, and they did do the thing, I want you to stop letting them prophesy over your future. I want you to stop letting them predict over your relationships. And I want you to believe God when he says he uses everything together for your good when you're called according to his purpose. Listen, of course, relationships offer trauma. Don't you understand you're at war against principalities and powers? 
Don't you understand that the enemy has as many plans for you as God does? Don't you understand that the enemy brings people in your life to damage you, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't also bring people in your life to bless you? Christian, this holiday season, deliver the presence of God to those you are with, being filled by the Holy Spirit and verbal in your affirmation and encouragement. You don't know what they're going to say. You're right, I don't. You don't know how they treated me. You're you're right, I don't. But I know that God has plans for you in that place. I know that God wants you to bring presence and presence. I know that you have a way to bless, and I know that you're tempted to let death come out of your mouth, and I need you to choose joy and choose encouragement and choose affirmation. And don't get drawn into the ditch of their feelings and your trauma. Bring God to the party. Listen, if you're in a season like Mary, it doesn't matter what the details are. If you're in a season like Mary, I need you to hurry up and get to an Elizabeth. I need you to borrow from someone. You say, I don't have any joy, borrow it. I don't have any faith, borrow it. I don't have any hope, find someone and borrow it. I don't have any peace, rob somebody and take it. Listen, this room's full of people who love Jesus and are at different places and who will make themselves available. Come on, Graceway, won't you? That's what church is. Yes, of course we come to church together, but this is just an economy of hope, peace, joy, and love. And when you're low on one, find somebody to borrow from and allow someone to point you back to the deepest giver of joy, your Savior, Jesus. And then lastly, let me just say one thing as, as challenge. I love you and I believe in you. And I know that it has been hard and I know that you're hurt and I know that you're tempted to isolate. But until you can find an Elizabeth to be with, be one for someone else. Until you can find one to be one for you, be one to somebody else and watch how God blesses you. Watch that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Watch that God still has plans and purposes. Watch that God's given you everything that you need for faith and godliness. Watch that the things that are in your hands that you thought were for your destruction are actually for somebody else's hope, peace, love, joy, and blessing. And get your eyes off of the prophetic prediction of your doom in the future and look around to the Marys who need you to lend to them God's plans and purposes for their life and see the gift that you can be to somebody this Christmas. God, we love you. And God, I thank you for the people over the years of my life that I have begged, borrowed, and stolen from, who volunteered their experience, who volunteered their hope, their faith, their walk. They made it available to me. I thank you for the friendships. I thank you, Lord, for the people that you have provided to me, Lord, who have spoken over me, who have challenged me, who have grown me, who have discipled me, Lord. Yes, there are people who have hurt me. Yes, there are people who have betrayed me and abandoned me and spoken ill of me. And yes, it's devastatingly difficult. But Lord, you've been good. And I thank you for it today. And I honor you for it today. And I bless you for it today. Lord, I pray for this church, Graceway, for the Elizabeths, Elizabeths, and for the Marys. 
Lord, I pray that you would give us joy. I pray that we would lend to one another. I pray that in the relationships that make this place what it is, you would, you would show up in a profound way and that you would deepen our experience together and that you would be glorified in it. Lord, we love you today. I thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for the people that I get to come to church with. I thank you for the people that are getting saved. And Lord, we get our eyes onto you and ask you for more on this holiday season for your glory, God, and for our joy in Jesus' name.